welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I am Joe Boris, and I'm here with Jason Cortez, who's a good friend of ours already. And Jason, you may have kind of run across him recently through his work at Rivian. He's been working there with their Waypoints charging network. And uh, he's going to talk to us a little bit today about the kind of evolution of the fueling station and of vehicles and how we put fuel in them. And Jason, I don't want to take too much of your thunder away, but you've already been talking to me about the first filling stations in 1905. And man, you want to talk about chicken and the egg scenario here with vehicles and fueling. That was, you were telling me, 20 years after the Benz patent motor. Yep. 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 Thanks for having me here, Joe. And just as a, as a quick level set, this is, this is year five for me in the electric vehicle infrastructure industry part of it. And that's kind of where I sit in the, in the EV ecosystem. But yeah, we have seen a, we're seeing a paradigm shift in the way people fuel today with electric vehicles. And, and we've seen an evolution of the gas station that, as you, to your point, you know, 117 plus years back, 1905 was the, is, is our best estimate of when the first station, you know, arrived on the scene and it wasn't a pump. It was a hand crank with dispensing of of ethanol into a container to transfer to a vehicle. And then, you know, that was nearly two decades after the Benz patent motor made its inaugural road trip. So, you know, that whole chicken and egg scenario, we we see in this case, the the vehicles was on the road before the the fueling site was available. And yet, isn't that one of the, uh, one of the, barriers, as they say, to adoption of electric vehicles is where are we charging? Well, as an EV infrastructure professional, that's not a question that I'm even concerned with. And I I don't even really believe in range anxiety. I think that it is really experience anxiety because I see the chargers everywhere because I'm looking for them. But if you've not had that experience, but yeah, yeah, the the evolution of the gas station, you know, um, uh, you know, hand uh, site with a with a hand pump where you put fuel out into a container of some sort. But by 1913, the first drive-in fuel station had appeared on the scene. And and then we just began to see from there the evolution of of the fuel station where we see it evolved into a service station where, you know, I don't know how old you are, Joe, but I remember (laughs) sitting in the back seat and, 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 and and a fuel attendant would come out, they would pump your fuel, they would check your fluids, they would air up your tires, they would wash your windshield. And, and, and even there on site, there was, you know, repair services from light up to heavy duty auto repairs that could be conducted on site. And that's what the fuel site was. And then we, we saw the service station element go away and then it evolved into this, uh, this retail convenience experience where, you know, you, you, you could, you could save a trip to the gas station by paying a higher percentage for eggs, milk and bread, et cetera. And then, and then the fuel site, you know, began the, the, the gas station, the convenience store began to evolve to where it's now becoming a destination. We saw beer caves arrive where there's this vast selection of, of alcohol available and, and, and QSRs or, or quick serve restaurants attached to them and, and car wash facilities and all of this stuff as, as, the, as the traditional fuel site has evolved. And then now, you know, we've arrived at this time where, where brands are bringing on clean foods and, and uh, you know, they're creating health conscious offerings, creating products 
with their own logo and image on it and, and, you know, delivery services and you, you name it, automated checkouts. And we've just seen this evolution and, and EV charging fits right into that evolution period. In fact, it's a part of it. And I think it is the next iteration. Uh, you know, tomorrow's fueling uh, provider is, is coming into view with every day that passes. Such an interesting kind of way to put all that because, and I, I want to get back to this this concept of the the evolution of the fuel station, right? Because that is very timely. We're talking about this with Electrify America. They're putting out their new kind of lounges where they're inviting people to spend more time there. We're talking about Shell that is doing something very similar where they're kind of upgrading the gas station experience for a little bit longer dwell time. Starbucks and Volvo are working together to kind of make that a fuel destination. But as interesting as all that is, and I, I definitely want to get to that, you made a, a really wild comment. And this is, I know a little bit about your background that our readers probably don't, which is that you were in fleet management before. You've operated a lot of different kinds of vehicles from compressed natural gas when that looked like a, a viable option to diesel and gasoline. You made the comment that range anxiety doesn't exist. And I think for a lot of people, even people who have been in this EV space for a long time, if you tell them that range anxiety doesn't exist, I think their head might explode. Can you can you uh, elaborate on that? I don't even know yeah. if elaborate is the right word. Like, yeah. what you're talking about, Willis? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I've, I've been known to make uh, statements that create a knee-jerk reaction because at the end of the day, I, I want to stimulate conversation. And really, that's what it's all about. Yeah, that, that's an that's aggressive statement, but it's it's what I mean when I say there's no such thing as, as range anxiety, there's experience anxiety. Think about the, the traditional fuel station. We know that we can drive any given direction and we're going to run into one. We know that once we leave a city limits uh, sign within 40 to 50 miles outside of that city limit sign, there's going to be a truck stop or some type of fueling destination. And we know that because we've been conditioned to that experience. But think, let's, let's, let's talk about the visibility of the EV charging uh, world. You know, we, we have visibility on access to charging in our navigation systems, on our phones. It's, it's a matter of, you know, I can't get on my phone and see if there's a gas pump available at the Exxon station down the street from me. I just got to drive over there and, and, and wait in line if, if there's a line. But the visibility that we have on EV chargers is that we can, we, you know, obviously intuitive network chargers that, that, that I have to qualify that. But, you know, that's, that's what is really driving EV adoption is these intuitive networks. They're creating visibility uh, for chargers uh, that's unparalleled to traditional fueling and that you, you know the price point before you get there. You know if it's in use. If it's in use, you can enter a wait list type of queue that, that has the charger ready for you by the time you get there. And so you can plan your day. AAA says that 2,100 people run out of fuel every single day on the road. How many uh, gasoline, think, right? Yeah, yeah. And traditional fuel. What do you think? Uh, how many EV drivers are running out of fuel and, and, and running out of electricity? On it? This just doesn't happen because it's a completely different experience. The charging experience is different than the fueling experience. The operation of the vehicle is, and, and again, the EV driver knows what their range is. They know what they're where they're going, and and it's it's you know, and again, really, when you talk about charging from from the EV driver's perspective, right now the balance is about you know, 70 to 30, 70% charging at home, 30% in the marketplace. I'm seeing that shift from 60 to 40. So we're, we're seeing that transition already, but, but the charging experience, you know, 
in, in traditional fueling, we're conditioned to think empty tank, full tank. It's not the same thing with, with um, you know, charging. So all of that is what I'm talking about when I say there's no such thing as range anxiety, it's experience anxiety. And, and really that's what I mean when I say that. So you kind of got to unpack that statement, but, but I hope that's a fair definition of what I mean by that. But I think that's a fair statement. You know, you, you made a comment and I wrote it down as you said it, cause I really, I, I really like this. You made a comment about visibility and conditioning. I know that when I get in a car and I start driving 40, 50 miles outside of the city limit, I'm going to run into a fueling station. And I know that in part because there's a hundred foot light up sign that says shell, that says BP, that says, you know, uh, flying J, right? That I know what that is. And it's probably got the price of fuel underneath it too. You know, these days it probably says 585, depending on where you are, four bucks, you know? Do you think that we're going to get to the point anytime soon where there is a big sign visible from the highway that says electrify America and it has the kilowatt hour price underneath it and maybe behind it there's a uh, EV go sign that says you know no 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 come here we've got the better spot you know we've got the better stopping point or even going going completely the other way what if I'm you know, if I if I have a, a restaurant, I have a quick serve restaurant. Right? I like that QSR. I'm going to use that. What if I have a Starbucks franchise and I'm off of a major highway and I offer DC fast charging? I can put it up there. My price for electricity as a loss leader, you know, undercut the traditional quote unquote fueling stations and make my money back on four dollar coffee that costs me less than a nickel to brew. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a ton of possibilities there. And within that sort of world of possibilities there's the possibility that the people who are providing fuel to you today and providing your fueling experience unless they evolve they might get out darwined by some of these other guys that have a high dwell time that are going to be able to move into that space i see you nodding for those of you listening this is not a video podcast he's nodding apparently i'm saying something smart so let's see what he says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, back to the signage, that's even in some cases been a prerequisite for public funding, you know, and competitive funding opportunities, Volkswagen mitigation money for EV charging, things like that, other, you know, state level and even municipality or utility driven funding incentives to offset capital costs. Signage has been a part of it. But but when I, so that's, so the answer to the early part of that question is yes, I believe signage is going to be a part of it. But again, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a prerequisite because who is looking for the charger? Not, you know, it's the EV driver that has visibility on that charger, that networked charger via their phone, via their navigation system, via open uh, source locators for chargers and things like that. But when I'm, when I'm, when I'm looking at EV charging infrastructure, I kind of have a bucket, you know, four different buckets that I, that I view as, as where you will find success. One is accessibility, reliability, visibility, and charging capability. And, and, and that signage that you were speaking of, it, it falls into that visibility bucket. And so when I'm talking about visibility on an EV charger, I'm talking about one, it's got to be networked. That's a prerequisite. Signage, lighting. You know, when you think about a traditional fuel site, when you pull up next to a gas pump, per gas pump, you're looking at a couple of LEDs that are dumping a lot of light on top of you. You don't see that in some EV charging destinations. So in that visibility category, we need signage, we need lighting. And so just like- That's that, actually a really under 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 referenced point. 
you know, my wife has made that comment several times of, you know, if, if she sees a charging station that is not well lit, that does not have that LED lighting, that does not have good visibility around it, she won't feel safe going there. She'll keep driving to go to a Walmart or a Target that is well lit and does have it, even though it may not be the most convenient charger or the most capable charger, right? You know, we talk about level three charging versus level two. She'll go there because she feels safer there. And then the idea that, you know, gas stations were not always a place a generation ago or a generation or two ago, gas stations were not a place that women specifically felt comfortable, felt safe. And now when you talk about all of that light pouring down, well, why is that light there? That light is there to provide visibility, to provide people that sense of security and safety. Because at the end of the day, we're still, you know, we've been industrialized for a hundred years, but we've got a billion years of evolution telling us dark equals bad, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, whenever I would, would be consulting with owners of, of gas, site, gas sites and, you know, convenience stores and fueling, you know, fueling retail fueling centers, when we, you know, in the traditional fueling sense, there's that ingress and egress for the fueling. They, they pull in, pull out, and, and, and they would automatically think in some cases, well, I've got to adopt that same thing with charging, pull in, pull out. And then, no, you're, you're moving to a different area of real estate. You're moving to a different area of your parking lot and you're, you're creating a parking destination. And so, you know, there's not a canopy in some cases over the, over those charging stations that's dumping led light and, you know, creating high visibility because it's, 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 it's somewhere else on the property. And so that's a part of it, you know, there, that's a part of creating that, that, uh, user experience that, to your point, it, it creates a sense of safety, a sense of security, um, you know, and all of that. Now, you made the comment that, you know, a lot of these places are putting the charging station off to the side, that it's not their, the EV charging is not their primary business, right. where in the sense of a shell station, it, it very much is their primary business. Do you think there's a point, there's a tipping point where the EV charging platform becomes the primary business of a, of a piece of real estate? I think that, uh, you know, looking at 7-Eleven as an example, I mean, we think of them and their brand as, as you know, the Slurpee, uh, the Slurpee world. And, the, you know, that, that, that. As soon as you say the world word Slurpee, now I have to go get a Slurpee. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, at the end of the day, are they a convenience store? Are they a fueling destination? Are they in the Slurpee business or are they a real estate owner? They're a real estate owner. And so it makes sense that they would also purpose that a portion of that real estate for EV charging. And that was has been part of the message that I have, I've been taking to these fuel wholesalers, fuel retailers, these, these owner operators of, of fueling sites. Look, you sell petroleum products, expand your business footprint and create an opportunity to bring in the EV driver, making them a customer of yours, because you're you're losing your traditional fuel uh, your traditional fuel vehicle drivers, th those customers as they transition to EV. So you're losing them, retain them, and put chargers on site. And so it's you know just maximizing their business footprint and, and getting chargers on site. You know, and I wonder how many I wonder how many people who you know own strip malls or own other kind of retail properties are listening to this going, huh? That I could monetize another twenty two thousand square feet that I currently am giving away for free. Exactly. So I think that's a that's a huge part of the business model. I want to talk a little bit more 
about your time at Rivian, not necessarily uh, about your experience there, but what you did there in sure. terms of setting up charging charging with their waypoint. And I know a lot of people like talking about Rivian's adventure network, which is putting charging stations way out in the wilderness where people can't get to them. How important do you think that is not only for branding, but for the viability of a brand back to the whole chicken and egg scenario, right? Like Ford didn't, well, that's not true. I was about to say Ford didn't go into business and start putting service centers all over the country, but they absolutely did. Henry Ford worked with Firestone specifically to put Model T parts and spark plugs and windshield wipers and tires all over the country so that if someone pulled in with an REO or a, an early Buick, well, maybe they did or didn't have parts for that, but they had parts for a Model T. So, <laughs> so yeah, maybe that, maybe, uh, maybe this is all a conversation that we've had before and we just don't remember it. Yeah, we weren't, we weren't around for it. Yeah, we no, weren't uh, around for it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you know, back to your, your, your question about my experience at Rivian. So, you know, when I was at Rivian, I was a part of a commercial unit that sat in the energy and charging division. And uh, this commercial unit was focused on establishing strategic partnerships with, you know, select companies to host our chargers. Now that was mainly focused on the on the waypoints charger, which is an AC charger, you know, level two charger with with a J1772 plug that would, you know, charge any vehicles, not any electric vehicle, not just the Rivian brand. But it would uh, still be branded Rivian. So if you pulled up there with your, you know, I, I was I was going to say a, a Nissan Leaf, but I think that's a that's a Chatmo charger. So if you pulled up there with like any other EV but a Nissan Leaf, yep. you'd plug it in and you'd look at it and you go. Oh, Rivian. And then that would like sort of click in your head. Maybe I should check out a Rivian truck. It was like a marketing thing. Right, right. The the charging, the charging infrastructure that Rivian has went to market with is is not uh, intended to have this blue sky potential where they're just trying to, you know, saturate the market like ChargePoint or EVgo or, you know, other brands that are out there. It's it's it, there's a finite goal, uh, a limited deployment of chargers that really is about one supporting adoption as a whole, but also equipping the Rivian customer with a place to charge. The chargers are an extension of the Rivian brand, but ultimately just like Tesla went to market with a product that needed to be supported with an infrastructure of charging, a network of chargers, you know, the core product is the vehicle. The charger is what gives that core product its success. Its success. Same thing with Rivian. Uh, Rivian has done something a little bit different in that the, the level two aspect of the, of the network, the Rivian Waypoints network is, a, is, a, is not proprietary. Like I say, it has the, the, the J1772 plug and will accommodate Tesla with the adapter or any other make and model of charger. But uh, we're talking me. about, you know, we're talking about Tesla, we're talking about Rivian and, and we're talking about your, your role in, in kind of getting businesses on board with the opportunities presented to them by electrification and by charging. Do you find, and this is, this is going to be kind of a, a weird one because I'm thinking of it as I'm asking it. So I apologize if it's not like as polished as my usual questions are. Are you finding that the competition is other charging networks or is the competition the lack of awareness or lack of education from the business owner? Like, are you going in there and they're going, well, you know, we've been talking to ChargePoint. What are you going to do for us? Or are you going in there and kind of saying, guys, you're wasting this retail space. 
why don't you try to monetize it? Like what is, and I think you've answered that in context, but I, let's, let's kind of spell it out. Let's, instead of making it contextual, let's, let's say, you know, who are you competing against? What is the challenge to get it, to get a, a, a company to put in chargers? Because it seems like such a no brainer to someone who's, you know, on, on the other side of this, right. To someone who's an enthusiast, like, why can't I go to every place and just plug in? Right. Right. Yeah. No. While with Rivian and and working to deploy the Waypoints network, I, I was competing with with those other brands that have you know already been in the market for for years. You know that that you know ChargePoint been around since two thousand seven, and some of the others that came to market. I mean, you know, I was competing with that market space, but really on my initial approach to to any business owner, to any logo that is considering electrification strategy, it's really going to start with education. It's really going to, to, to help craft the answer because these businesses have to address their why behind electrification. And part of uh, addressing that means asking questions like, is their customer, uh, their ideal customer profile aligned with this need? And, and who's paying for what? Who's paying for the energy? Who's paying for the installation? Who's paying for the service? Uh, the after service and, and the service plans, and the network connectivity, and who has access? Is access free? Is it is it for a fee? There's so many questions to ask, and so just trying to be that 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 consultant that helps guide that that business owner to the right electrification strategy. You know, there's. Um, uh, possibly a business has a limited segment within their portfolio that they want to electrify, or maybe they want to go all in and, and maybe they're in hospitality and, you know, they want to have every hotel with a, with a charger, or maybe they have, uh, you know, they're in the food and beverage space and they want charging to be an extension of, of their offering on site. When you come to eat at their restaurant, you're, you're there getting charging while you're, while you're there. And so, you know, does the revenue at the charger justify the installation? No, the charger will never be a profit center for them. But then when you take a step back and look at it from the angles of the indirect income and that now you become a charging destination and the EV driver now is your customer, you know, you're gaining new customers in, in that EV community because of those chargers. And your cost of customer acquisition potentially goes down. And then conversely, you're competing now against the same competition you've always competed with, but now you have something to offer the customer that they do not. Exactly. The EV driver that's traveling and they're going to, they're going to pick a hotel and a restaurant, which one are they going to pick? The one that has charging where they're staying and where they're eating or the one that doesn't, obviously, you know, they're, they're going to get that charging while they're, while they're doing something else and see, and, and that goes back to the, the differences between traditional fueling and EV charging and how they do not mirror each other. You know, a lot of terms, uh, you hear various terms thrown around when it comes to the charging experience and, and top off is one that is that is used. I don't particularly care for that term. I refer to it as portional charging. That's that's the term that I use and in that they are getting a portion of a charge that could be an hour's portion or two hours portion. It really is anchored around where they're at. If they're at it target. reminds me of like, you know, when I was in college, I never had money to fill up my tank. I would just go, you know, okay, I, I need about, and I kind of knew how much I drove a week. And I was like, all right, I just need to put 10 bucks in. That'll get me through to Friday. Or like, I'll put in another five bucks and that'll get me to payday. And that was kind of how I lived life. But you are absolutely right. We, we are coming from a mentality of empty or full, empty mm -hmm. or full. And there is not that sense of like, well, I have a hundred miles of range. That's good for three days or two days. 
what I really just need is a little bit more. So I'll get a little bit more while I'm here. Right. I mean, that idea of only filling up, I think is a challenge that, that any kind of electric fuel provider is going to have to overcome when you're, when you're talking about someone who is, I mean, I think now the, the model S was unveiled in 2009, right? So we, we are definitely in the late adopter stage when it comes to EVs. We've got the early adopters. We got the people who are on trend. We're in the big meaty part of that diffusion of innovation curve, like right with the, the main adopters, right? So the late adopters that are coming online, I think they are the ones who are the most resistant to change. And they're going to be the ones who have the hardest time understanding that, uh, what is the fractional fill up, the marginal fill. How do you address that or, or do you address that? Is, not is that not really in, in your scope of business? No, it, it's, a, it's, a part of, it's a part of the, the, you know, the toolkit that I bring you know, in a holistic education about you know, this transition in fueling. And you know, just like we've got this paradigm shift in how we fuel, that means a shift in the terms that we use and an understanding of what the processes mean because we've had 117 years of consumer conditioning to fuel. And, and yeah. so liquid fueling is an unconscious process mostly. And, you know, the normative experience is that, you know, we, we pull up to the pump, we pay at the pump, or we go inside and buy something else and pay at the point of sale system. And so, and, and then again, you know, some are filling to capacity based on the size of their tank, or some are just, you know, squirting a little bit of juice in to get, get down the road to your earlier point of just, uh, you know, getting, didn't have enough money to fill up all the way, but you know, it's the same thing with EV charging. It's, it's, it's understanding the terms, understanding the process and how it's, it's, it's shifting. And so being able to, you know, present that in a narrative that resounds with the person, whether they be the consumer or they be, you know, the business that's looking at hosting EV charging, it's just, it's really about messaging. And so that's what I've tried to do is just, is, is take our traditional world of fueling and create a narrative that transfers over to EV and just helps kind of dispel some of the myths and, and, and assumptions. Cause when, well, you know, that's one of the barriers to, to EV adoption is the people that are, you know, skeptical or, or maybe even against it, you know, because they're living in, a, in that realm of, of inexperience and in that realm of, of, you know, assumptions. And so, uh, cause they're, they're making applications based on, what they've been doing or they're being, or they're listening to other people who are making assumptions or even going off of bad information, right? Like there's, there's a really good uh, example of this, you know, we're talking about, well, you know, you can't drive a a electric car across the country. You can't do a, a coast to coast road trip. Well, Porsche just did it with stopping for less than three hours over the course of a four day trip, five day trip they were physically connected to a charger for less than three hours. So, I mean, yeah, that's a high end vehicle with ultra fast charging capability and they planned their route meticulously to get the highest capacity chargers. But at the end of the day, it is doable. It's doable today at a year ago, you know, or two years ago when we first started doing uh, the electrify expo, that was not something that was even possible. You know, even in a Tesla, it wasn't really possible because the superchargers weren't there. The efficiency wasn't there. And, and now we're there. How soon does this become kind of a moot point, right? How soon do we get to the point where y- you do plug in and within 15, 20 minutes, you, you're at 80% and you just go on your way. And this doesn't even become an issue anymore. 
Yeah. Well, that that's, of course, anchored around the, the KW output of the charger and the type of infrastructure that's there to support the charger. And, and most communities, it's worth noting, most communities, even, even major cities, don't have the grid capacity to push that kind of juice. That's so right. a level two might be what you're going to get. Even the car dealers are now starting to figure that out. These yeah. car dealers that they built their stores 25, 30 years ago, and you know they've got a massive million square feet of space full of cars. They're trying to put in chargers. They want to put in DC fast chargers, and they're being told, "Sorry, chief, this ain't how this works." Yeah, and it's it's extreme cost to do that, and your utility interconnection is is a factor. And yeah, when 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 GM you know announced you know the prerequisite to for a dealership to carry the Hummer was that you had to have a DC fast charger on site and maybe a couple of AC chargers on site. And so then I'm I'm at these dealerships, you know, looking at existing infrastructure, looking at you know existing gear, you know, and and what's you know sw- switch gear and just you know walking through what it's going to take to integrate these chargers and then course being confronted with the limited space and maybe they've got three phase but they don't have 480 volts of service and all of those things but really you know going back to that whole empty tank full tank portional charging you know charging while you're doing something else i mean all of that again goes back to just really education you know uh, the average driver really you know covers about 41 miles a day so you're thinking about on normal i feel like that's a lot yeah yeah, a normal level two charger and, you know, a couple hours on that or even an hour on that, they're going to net almost what the average driver travels in a day. So it's, it's, it's again, not, not focusing on empty full, but really looking at that portional charging experience. And to your point about the cross country journey and the, and the Porsche type on, you know, that, that was demonstrated. There was, you know, a group that raced some EVs across, uh, you know, across from East coast to West coast. Recently. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you know, those examples, but again, that goes back to that, to that mindset and, and the, the, the consumer being entrenched in this extreme use case example that really doesn't apply, you know, when they show That's up. America. That's America. We've got people that don't own a fifth wheel that don't pull horses that don't you know, ever load up a car carrier and drag these things across country. We've got those people buying big diesel super duties in case they ever do that thing. I mean, we live in a country where there are more gun stores than McDonald's and we're like not skinny people in this country. I don't know if you've noticed that in your, in your travels, but like, this is, this is kind of a chunky place. You would think the McDonald's would be more popular because like, I haven't been shot today, but I had a McSandwich. You know what I mean? Yep, 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 yep. Well, and and that low use case scenario, that is what America is all about. Like why, you know, what if I want to drive from New York to LA, avoiding highways and taking only rural surface streets? Am I going to be able to charge then? It's like, no, you're an idiot. Well, if (laughs) if I was that salesman taking that question from that consumer in a dealership, I would ask them, when's the last time they did that first? And what vehicle vehicle did they take when they did that? Because I don't know. You would would successfully sell them the car. I would just insult them and chase them out of the store. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I I don't know about you, but I I can't really sit in a in a in a vehicle for 500 miles without making, you know, probably three stops. Oh no, uh, five, 500. Okay. When I was 20 years old, I'd do that all day. But now I'm in my yeah. 40s. I'm tired. Stuff hurts. You know what sciatica is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You turn, those of you listening to this who don't know what that is, enjoy your 20s. Enjoy <laughs> it. 
maybe even into your 30s when that sciatica hits you're not going to want to sit in a car for 300 miles let alone 500 a thousand there's a, a tesla that came out recently with a prototype sulfur uh sulfur ion battery and that's all they did was change out the battery and it went 720 miles on a charge that's like some kind of punishment yeah i, I, I don't want to do anything i don't want to sit in a car for 700 miles even if it's driving itself that might be worse yeah yeah, you know, uh, Penn State, uh, not that long ago, had, had uh, started publishing some of the stuff that they had done in their, you know, in their laboratory where, you know, the battery that they had came up with. And again, all of that is is anchored around what is is all of that, the intention behind that, just dispelling uh, the assumptions? Is it about just providing a product that, that can get from point A to point B and, and not worrying about that? But really, at the end of the day, it, it really is irrelevant what the technology can do what can the can the human endure you know and so that's uh, i i'm i'm all supportive for the evolution of technology and to your earlier point about the charging uh time frames you know with the with the higher kw output electrify america has chargers out there with 350 kw output capability and yet how many vehicles on the market today can take that well those yeah, vehicles- there's not many there, there's like what i mean let's let's run them down there's the porsche Taycan. The VW ID4, I think the Mustang Mach-E, and some Teslas, and that's it. Yep, yep, that's it, that's it. And and so what what you're seeing in the infrastructure side is is brands going to market with, you know, higher than the 50 kW output, but maybe not the 175 to 350. I have even seen funding opportunities that that were released by you know states or whatever that that were requiring a certain KW output. Usually the baseline was 50, but then in some cases they wanted as high as, as 150 and 175. And I, I believe that the the intent behind that is is well meaning and it's about you know future proofing and accommodating those those shorter uh, charging times. But really uh, you know, what vehicles are able to use that. And again, when we, when we just approach it from the portional charging, you know, empty to full, that's irrelevant in EV charging. It's that, it's that 80, 20 rule that the, you know, the EV driver stays above 20 and below 80, and that's where they're, they're optimized in their charging session. And so a DC fast charger, getting them to that 80% in 15 minutes or the level two, that's getting them there over an extended period of time. They're getting that energy while they're doing something else. It could be while their car, if it's a residential level two charger, it's while they're parked in at home and asleep and their car's charging overnight and they're starting their day ready to go at 80, 80 to 85% or they're, you know, they're on their lunch break and they've chosen a restaurant that has charging on site. And so while they're eating, they're also charging. It's just about moving throughout their circuit of travel. Circuit of travel. I love that line. All right, Jason. You know we're, we're coming kind of to the end of where these usually go. Before I let you go, though, I you are such a fascinating source of history of fueling stations and of how we view fuel, how we market fuel. If you could say something to someone who really didn't understand electricity as fuel, right? Like you're talking to my stepdad or something and you're telling him, hey, man, this is what you got to think of it as. I mean, do you have a like a a good takeaway soundbite for that, a good elevator pitch that that our listeners can can use on their more stubborn, obstinate connections? Well, we we see petroleum as as a commoditized source of energy, petroleum being dispensed in gallons. It's the same thing with EV charging, electrons being dispensed in kilowatt hours. And there is that. You know, just like in the in the alternative fuel world, CNG, LNG, you know, there's those diesel gallon equivalent, gasoline gallon equivalent. Well, now there's electric 
mile equipment. Gallon equivalent, That's, yeah. Yeah, gallon equipment. Yeah, equivalent. Yeah, and 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 uh, you know, it's there. It's 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 it, you know, when you look at the cost of fuel and its its fluctuation and high peaks and and dips and all of that, and then you look at electricity and the stability that it has. It's 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 a stable, and yet we're commoditizing that energy and making it a fuel source. And the consumer is benefiting at it, but excuse me, buy it because, you know, they're not spending $80 to fuel up, to fill up their, um, you know, 30 gallon tank on their SUV. But even, even, you know, we're talking about consumers and obviously that's where the majority of people are, right? Most of us are consumers. We're not investors or fleet managers or things like that. But if you did own a business or even if you were an Uber driver and on the weekends, right? You know, the ability to budget looking forward and say, I have no idea what gas is going to cost me six months from now, but I have a pretty good sense of what electricity is going to cost me. Even just that is a huge advantage. Like if you had a crystal ball into gas prices six months from now, you'd be a millionaire. But you do have that crystal ball in some ways on electricity. You can kind of see what it's going to be. So I think there's a huge opportunity there as well uh, for people that are coming at it from another angle. So Jason, I know, I know you're a listener of the show. You know, Zachary's not on this one. I'm sorry about that, but uh, you know, he couldn't make it. I really appreciate your time for our listeners at home who are listening into this. I know you're very active on LinkedIn. So it's uh, Jason Cortez, C-O-R-T-E-S. How else can we follow along and uh, you know, where can we learn more about these uh, ethyl filling stations from 1913? (laughs) Well, uh, the, the, the podcast opportunities are, are uh, coming up uh, pretty heavy right now. I've got, got, got a couple more lined up later in the week, and, and, and that's where I'm creating some presence there in that platform. But yeah, I've, I've used LinkedIn as, as, as a platform to just you know, create some content, and, and, and really the intent is to, to, to build on that content, because really at the end of the day, I'm just trying to be a, a consultant, an advocate, uh, and a promoter of this clean technology and just get help do whatever I can to help move the needle. Great stuff, man. Well, thank you very much for being here with us today. Obviously subscribe to clean tech talk if you haven't done that. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys around. Thank you for listening to clean tech talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. (laughs) 